0: Pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Carsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast, and maybe change your life, or someone else's. Hello everyone. Today I have a little bit of a cold, so that's why I sound a little bit strange today. But today I will talk a lot about pills. Even if you are not in pain, or do not take pills, I'm certain there are things here that might be interesting for you as well. I base my talk on the episode last week with Corinne Juhlstöm and her own thoughts about taking medicine. I hate to take medication and I don't even take pills for a headache. And just like we did in the book, I will take real patient examples on how things work or do not work out there. And I turn both to patients and relatives and healthcare professionals. Join me in this episode. We are going to have a blast. But before I start, just a small glimpse on what is coming ahead. Next week I will talk to Henrik Grönberg, a clinical doctor and professor who invented the Stockholm 3 test, a new type of testing for prostate cancer. Henrik was awarded the 2022 cancer researcher by the Cancer Foundation, Cancerfonden. If you're not a man, not interested in the prostate gland, or even not particularly interested in professors, (laughs) (laughs) I dare you to join next week's episode anyway, because we will talk about many different things. I'm a hunter, Mm? so I hunt uh, roe deer and uh, uh, moose. Mm. Like always. But then, first of all for this episode, why was last episode called pill shaming? What is that, by the way? Well, when Corinne and I were planning and writing the book, she said that I really need to have a passage about the shame people feel when taking tablets. I kind of ducked that one because I thought I would not like to promote pill-taking if there were people out there just wanting to hear it is okay to take pills. And even if Corinne felt bad by taking pills, I thought other people maybe did not. But she came back with a request and I asked some patients how they felt by taking the medicine. And the answer was overwhelmingly and all alike. They were a bit ashamed. Some did not feel okay by taking them, but most of them felt bad because their surroundings told them not to. If relatives or friends said they should not... Maybe they could explain that the pain specialist had prescribed the medicine and kept close surveillance over the patient, but what if the GP said that the patient should not take the medicine? So, I understood this was really a problem for patients, so this needed to be addressed. I did not write the book for myself, but for the people having pain. But, then again, since I did not want to write some high-horse thoughts about what I thought, I wanted to take some experience from others. So why not turn to one of the most well-renowned hospitals in the world, the Cleveland Clinic? I started Googling, just like you, and found the English word pill-shaming. They had an example of antidepressants and what people thought. These were the bullet points the Cleveland Clinic wrote about pill shaming. And remember, these paragraphs were written about taking antidepressants but could be used for justified pain treatment as well. Needing these medicines means you're too emotional. There are multiple factors why you have persistent pain and you can actually become more emotional because of the pain but you do not need the medication as some kind of emotional treatment. And why do pain specialists prescribe antidepressants for pain? Well, because they adjust the noradrenaline in the pain system. They are designed to correct some of the chemical imbalances in the brain that contribute to persistent pain. Taking pills is the easy way out. Of course, pills are not making problems go away, problems that cause pain. But they can be a very important piece in the puzzle to get better and make one start to exercise, for instance, which we know is good for pain in the long run. And pills also don't replace behavioral therapy. Maybe the best result is to combine this therapy with medication. 3. Bad side effects are inevitable no they are not but on one hand you need to understand that if you have effect there is a risk you will have a side effect to my knowledge there is no medication which fits 100% to its target organ that is you get 100% positive effect and no side effects so in some way you need to expect side effects but there are two things i would like to stress first Studies have shown that if you read about side effects before you start taking a medication you are more likely to get them So my advice is don't read about them You will notice if you feel worse in any way and check your blood pressure when you start a new medication Then leave the more detailed stuff like taking blood samples etc. when you use certain medication to the prescribing physician (laughs) second My experience is that side effects usually come when you start with a too high dose or increase it too quickly. Especially in people with persistent pain who can be more sensitive to medication. For instance, if you start with an antidepressant against pain and not depression, I would suggest you start at the lowest dose possible and increase it at half normal speed just to make sure you don't get side effects, so you need to stop. Because for every medication you can't try out, there is one less which might help against pain. And there is not an indefinite number of pain medicines out there. 4. Medication is a lifetime commitment. Here, you just need to believe me, it is not. Sometimes, I must confess, people take it the rest of their lives. I guess I haven't most likely followed them until their death. But since persistent pain can be a chronic disease, just like diabetes or hypertension, the understanding that you might need to take your medication regularly for a long time is not really strange, is it? But you should try at least once a year to lower or be without the medication to check your status. Sometimes patients get mad at me because I did not prescribe medication in time and they ran out of them and got pain. I tell them that they just tested how well it worked, which they always should do sometimes, and then I beg for forgiveness. And taking medication for a long time usually does not include opioids. And if you have a season variation in your persistent pain, usually you get better in summer which means it could be a splendid time to try lowering your medication. Maybe you only need half your dose during summer and the ordinary dose during winter. I must confess, I know how these things work in Sweden, but I do not know about Australia or Africa or even rainy and damp United Kingdom. Oh. If you have any thoughts about this, please write me at info at com. So then, what about the surrounding telling you to stop or take less tablets? Well, just like the rest of the world thinks, the most important person is me. And I don't mean Karsten, I mean the one who's talking. Everyone thinks about themselves in the first place. It's natural. For instance, if you tell someone you have been sick, they will tell you when they were sick. You tell them about your vacation, and they will start talking about theirs, and so on so when you talk about your pills if the other person does not eat pills they think their life is better if you talk with your closest ones they care for you and of course they don't want you to take too many tablets so they are probably just caring about you still it can be very stressful for you the world is also full of people who know the truth and don't listen to anyone else It can be regarding vaccinations, politics, medicine or anything else. But if you promise me to think about if there is any truth to what your surrounding is saying, I mean, maybe they think you have changed personality or anything else, I don't know. But if you promise you think about what they say carefully without making up your mind before and then really think that you are doing the right thing, then be calm in that thought. Have them read my book or listen to this episode. There is a reason there are prescribing physicians out there. So trust your doctor and do not feel ashamed. Yes. Yes. I would like to end this talk with talking about opioids, morphine or oxycodone or any other legal painkilling drug. How should we think about this one then? Well, there is no absolute truth there. And I will give you some examples. First of all, you need to know which type of pain you have and let that decide the medication. If you should have medicines, there are many times better alternatives like physical exercise, behavioral changes and other treatments. But let's say you need medication. If you have nociceptive pain, which is usually called tissue pain, or I say muscle, skeletal and joint pain, Morphine works against that sort of pain. It does not work very well for neuropathic or nerve pain. And intensity has nothing to do with this. Little pain or excruciating pain does not decide whether you should have opioids or not. For instance, if you have a foot that slowly is dying because you do not have enough circulation, and somewhere down the line you will have an amputation, you might need morphine before that. And actually if you have cancer or not does not decide this either. So the physician needs to make an evaluation if opioids are adequate or not. And like you probably know the reason not everyone gets opioids is because of side effects tolerance and dependency. There have been drugs throughout the years where the advertising and information said it was almost harmless But it wasn't. Heroin was prescribed as a cough medicine because one knew morphine was addictive. Oxycodone was said to have a dependency issue with 2% of the users, which was a bunch of baloney. And the list goes on. There will always be new drugs that are so-called better, but so far opioids are opioids. The same risk goes with all. Okay then, How should you or a physician think about this then? Let me give you a very practical example, which is true. Actually, my patient wanted me to use his case as an example. Here's the deal. Let's say you have kidney stones, and I am not talking one or two during your lifetime, or even once a month, I talk a lot. I have not had one myself, but the pain is really intense. I have had mothers who said it was much worse than having children, and they should know. Let's say you know that morphine helps. But you need to go to the hospital to get it, and when you are there, you want it quickly, because you are in pain. So you get into the ER with a lot of commotion, screaming that you are in so much pain, and the only thing that helps is morphine intravenously. Just that sight, someone very agitated, sweaty, can't sit still asking for morphine makes a lot of people wonder or even decide this patient really should not have morphine. So, some people just get refused because of how they act. But again, we need to have a medical evaluation before we jump to conclusions. This guy I was talking about is help with morphine and is very tender afterwards in the muscles so he takes morphine in a lower dose at home some days after the attack before he stops. Sometimes he can stop the attack before it gets so bad he needs to go to the hospital because he has morphine at home. So for him this works. How is this possible? First, he and his doctors know that it helps. Secondly, he always finishes the treatment and every attack does not render higher doses each time. And he has done this for many years now. The upside? He can live a much more normal life between the worst attacks. So then, shouldn't everyone with kidney stones get morphine? He got morphine because the other medication did not help enough. But say you have someone in the exact same position with frequent pain attacks, but instead of tapering down and being without morphine between the attacks, the dose slowly increases instead, meaning that at some point you have too much morphine and still have pain. But then you might think, can't you just increase the dose until it has effect? Unfortunately no, there are limits not a set number but at the end you will actually get pain but the opioid then you have developed a so-called opioid induced hyperalgesia opioids make it hurt more strange right but before that there are warning signs you increase the dose significantly and usually during a short period of time You get abstinence, that is flu-like symptoms, yawning, sweating, among other things. At first you get it if you miss a dose or prolong the time before you take it. But eventually you might get these symptoms right before you are to take your next pill. So you might put it just a tad earlier to avoid this episode. Which means the body gets even more used to the drug and it gets worse. And apart from what I said so far, We know that opioids can affect the hormone system, where testosterone can get low for instance, and the immune system. So, opioids are really not optimal in any way. So, if someone like in this example has kidney stones but cannot keep the dose, increases it to the point of getting abstinence and such, then this medication is not for that person. I am sorry to say, but such a person should not have opioids, because it will not help and even get worse in the long run. So two identical persons with kidney stones as an example, where one can master opioid intake in a controlled way, and the other one cannot. So one cannot have it, it is not a human right to get opioids, and no doctor can be forced to prescribe opioids either. But you can demand that you meet a doctor who can explain these things and evaluate which type of person you are in this. And just to make things clear, most people do not take painkillers on a regular basis and most certainly the majority of them do not take or want opioids. But it is a very stigmatized patient group where you cannot say if it's right or wrong to take opioids until you checked it out. I could talk a lot more about medication. If you want an easy-to-read overview, you are most welcome to read Outsmart the Pain, Överlista smärtan. Read it several times. That's what my readers tell me to tell others. Read it many times. More and more things stick then. And there is an early episode in this pod, Outsmart the Pain, where I talk about the pain system. If you haven't already, you should really check this out as well. So, I hope you enjoyed this shorter episode. Sorry for me being a bit hoarse, but I will try to get well soon. Next episode has already been recorded. So, meet Professor Henrik Grönberg, a clinical oncologist who developed the Stockholm 3 prostate cancer test that might turn the tables on prostate cancer screening. I think yeah. that one of the key messages I want to give is really that prostate cancer, when it gets symptoms, it's too late. Mm. So, I mean, the only way to actually diagnose prostate cancer early enough is before symptoms. Awarded Cancer Researcher of the Year 2022. Come join me for next week's episode. Now, take care.